you have your Bible or the Bible app on your phone, make sure to turn to Luke chapter 15. If you do have the app, as always, just click the More tab, then Events, and you can follow us along there, and you can actually find all the info that you normally find in your bulletin right there on the app. Luke chapter 15, if you remember, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and he's using every opportunity that he can have with people to point people towards himself before he goes into Jerusalem and dies on the cross for our behalf. So as we talk about this, think about what's happened recently as well. Recently, Jesus has crashed a Pharisee's party. This religious elite people, I mean, he's crashed it. He was a Debbie Downer. He did, they did not like what he had to say, but it was the truth. And then he goes out and he tells people, he's like, hey, listen, this is what it takes to follow me. This is really what it takes. And that's what we talked about last week. And through these things, they're not all uh, you know, rainbows and butterflies. These things are really hard things that Jesus is saying. And he's attracting a crowd, even despite the very hard message that he's preaching here. He's attracting this crowd of people who have felt ousted by religion this entire time. They are the outcasts. They're the sinners. They're the tax collectors. The people that people would look down upon. This is the crowd that Jesus has following him. And the people who are the religious elitists, they don't like this. They look at him and they're like, man, I can't believe what he is doing. And so he's going to respond to them by telling three stories. This is what it says here in Luke chapter 15. Take a look at it with me. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, I found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the home and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Now many days later, the son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent in everything, a severe famine arose in that country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired him. Self, uh, out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And when he was lo uh, longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. When he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. He arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. 
And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger or on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And he came and drew near to the house. He heard the music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. He said to him, your brother has come, and your father killed the fattened calf because he received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you. I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who's devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? He said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It is fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. I know this is a really familiar passage. If you've been in church for any number of years, you've definitely heard this sermon preached before over Luke 15, specifically over the prodigal son, that last story that we talked about. But here's what I know. If we go before God, His Word is living and active And how many of you guys know that every time you look at it and you genuinely ask God to teach you something or to transform you or to mold you to be less like you, more like Him, God answers that prayer. We're going to do that this morning. And before we start talking about what this means for our lives, let's just go before God. Let's ask Him to do that. Let's have a genuine heart to say, God, I want you to teach me something new. I want you to transform me. I want you to mold me in your image. Let's go before God and ask Him that right now. God, we ask that. We ask that you would mold us in your image. Would you take this very familiar passage for most of us? God, and would you give us new insights? New insights into how the crazy love that you have for us affects our lives, affects the way that we live and interact with others and treat our uh, stuff and, and are a good steward of what you've given us, all because of your love, God. Would you help us to know that? Would you give us wisdom? Would you give us courage to be obedient? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, how many of you guys know that when you interact with something in person, it's different than when you interact virtually? Anybody sick of uh, virtual meetings? You know what I'm talking about? Yes? Yes? I had three virtual meetings this week. And I got to say, man, they are just not the same as an in-person meeting. In fact, one of my meetings got changed from virtual to in-person this week. And I was like, man, now I got to drive all the way to the office. I got to interact with people. And I'm like, man, actually, that was actually really good afterwards. I'm like, man, that's good. Tammy and I right now, I've told most of you guys, we are looking for a house out here, maybe closer to the church. Uh, We only have one bathroom and there's five of us and I'll spare you the details, but there's been some close calls. So we're looking for that second bathroom and we went and saw our first house in our house hunt yesterday. Let me tell you, it is so much different than looking at a house online, right? We've looked at several houses online, looked at the pictures. There's just something different about interacting with something in person. It's an interactive thing and you actually get to see it and it's just different. And sometimes when we interact with something in person versus virtually, we get a little bit different experience and we learn something a little bit different. And sometimes there's some concepts that are difficult to grasp 
but we get it when we actually get our hands dirty and we're experiencing it, right? Jesus here is talking directly to the Pharisees here. He's talking to these elitists who think they're better than everybody else and do not understand the crazy love that God has for all of humanity. Jesus is trying to get them to understand this, and so he gives them three parables. He gives them three stories. He starts off by saying, okay, you obviously don't understand why I'm hanging out with these people, why I show these people love who you have deemed unworthy. Let me give you these three stories. He starts out by saying uh, the one about the man who has a hundred sheep and he uh, one sheep wanders. And he says, I'm going to, the man would leave the 99 to go get and that one sheep who has wandered astray. And the Israelites would have understood this. There were a lot of sheep back then and they all would wander off. They need a shepherd to keep them safe. And so this shepherd would go out, seek this sheep, bring it back. And not only just bring it back, he would celebrate with everyone that what was lost is now found. He gives a similar story about a woman who lost a coin who has 10 and now she only has nine. So here's the deal. Think about the numbers right now. You have a guy who has a hundred sheep that lost one. Now you have a lady who had 10 coins and lost one. Does the same thing though. She turns on the lamps. She starts sweeping the house to find it. The houses back then wouldn't have had many windows. She would have needed the lamp. She finally finds it. And not only that, she celebrates with it. She says, hey, I'm going to bring all my friends in. This is a crazy uh, thing that happened. And I want to celebrate that what was lost is now found. Are you catching a pattern here? Whether it be the one out of 100 or one in 10, what was lost is now found. Now, follow the numbers here. One in 100. One in ten. The next story involves one in two. And you know it, the prodigal son. There was a rich man who had two sons. The younger one, it's always the younger ones. I'm the oldest, so I can say that. It's always the younger ones. They write, they wander off, and they're like, hey, you know what, Dad? You're as good as dead to me. I just want my inheritance. That's literally what son would have been doing when he looked at his father and said, hey, I want my inheritance now. You're as good as dead to me, Dad. And the dad, instead of saying, you know what, you're a spoiled brat. Why don't you just get out of here? Instead of saying that, the father says, okay, here you go. Gives him the money. And we know it's easy to spend money, right? This guy, and you could use your imagination, he spends it on reckless living in a far-off country. And he eventually runs out of money, as inevitably would happen, right? But he can't find a job because it's the middle of a famine. So eventually he settles for feeding pigs. And in Jewish minds, you guys know this, in Jewish minds, pigs are dirty, they're unclean, they're disgusting. We don't hang out with them. Only Gentiles raise pigs. That's the only job that he can find till he does it. And then it says he gets so hungry that he longs after the food that the pigs are eating. Now, that's like gross in our standards today to eat pig food. It would have been doubly gross in their standards because, again, pigs are unclean. And so he gets to his senses. He gets so hungry. He gets so down on his luck. He finally comes to his senses and says, man, oh man, even my, my father's servants have more than this. And so he goes back and it says that while he was still a long way off, the father looked and saw him and he embraced him and hugged him. And instead of scolding him for leaving, he says, let's celebrate. The guy can't even get the words out of, my, out of his mouth, right? Like, just make me a hired servant. He doesn't even do it. The, guy, the father's like, no, give him a robe, give him a ring, give him shoes. Make sure everyone knows that this is my son who was lost and is now found. And they have a big party. But it doesn't end there. We like to kind of think about it ending there. But there's kind of an ugly ending. 
You see the older son, he comes in, starts wondering, what's all this music, dancing, what's going on here? Asks one of the servants, servants tells him like, well, yeah, your, your younger brother, he came back and your dad's ecstatic about it. And it's great that they're throwing this party. He doesn't like it. He's upset. So eventually the father comes out and says, hey, what's going on? And he just tells him off. I can't believe you would do this, dad. You, he wasted all of your money and you would throw him a party? What are you out of your mind? The father says, yeah, 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 hold on. He was lost and now he's found. You catching the pattern? What was lost is now found. And here's the crazy part I think about the dad too. He could have scolded the older brother. Yeah, what, you know what? You've always been with me. You've had anything you want. Are you out of your mind? Are you crazy? Why don't you go back to the field and work a few more hours, right? And get your, get your senses. He doesn't do that. He's kind and loving, and he brings him back to himself. I think what Jesus is trying to get across to these religious elitists who are having a difficult time with who Jesus is hanging out with is the crazy love that Jesus has for everyone. The crazy love that God would go through, the crazy extents that he would go through to love every single person. Jesus is trying to get that across to the people. He says, hey, what is lost is now found, and that is good. So I want to point out five different things about how God loves us. Because throughout all of these stories, there is a crazy amount of love that we can pull from this, that we can learn about how God loves each and every one of us. And here's the deal too. Um, oftentimes we kind of pull these stories apart, but it's one setting that Jesus is actually telling these in. And they're very uh, integral stories to each other. They all kind of feed into each other with the numbers, with the themes. They're all teaching us one overarching thing, and that is God's love. Here's the first thing I want to point out about how God loves us. Take a look at the first story in verse 4. It says, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? Can you get the picture of what this looks like? This is almost irresponsible, right? He's leaving 99 to go find one that wandered off. What do you think the 99 are going to do with no shepherd? They could easily wander off, right? And yet this shepherd is going after the one that has wandered off. He's seeking him out. Same with the lady who's seeking after the coin. Take a look at verse 8. Look at what it says. Or what woman having 10 silver coins, and just so you know, this is about one day's work. So 10, if you had 10 silver coins is one day work, let's say that one of them is worth maybe 15 bucks, right? So she's going and she's looking for a $15 coin here. And she's sweeping the house. She's lighting it. What is she doing here? She's seeking after the coin. So you have a shepherd seeking after a sheep, a woman seeking after his, her, her coin, and one other instance too. Take a look at the good father. Look at this. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, look at this. His father saw him. Now, what would the father have to do in order to see his son coming from a long way off? Got to be looking, right? Man, could you imagine the father knowing that his son has the free will to go off and do whatever, just waiting on his back porch at night? I almost like imagine him having like, I know they didn't have rocking chairs back then, but maybe having like a rocking chair on his back deck and just maybe praying and just say, man, God, if you could just, if you could just bring my son home and just hopefully watching over the horizon and just say, man, he left that way. Ah, man, I really want him to come back. And just watching him. 
What are these three instances telling us about God's love towards us? Well, first and foremost, I think they're telling us that God seeks after us. That when we are lost, God constantly is seeking after each and every one of us. He wants to have a relationship with each and every one of us. And Jesus, he tells us this over and over in his ministry. Take a look at Luke 19.10. It says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what is lost. And we know that it's God's will for each and every person to be saved. 2 Peter 3.9 tells us that. We know in Scripture it's always God acting first and people responding second. It's God who seeks after us. Some people say, uh, say that they like to seek after God. Really, it's us responding to God seeking after us. We can't do it on our own behalf. It's God prompting us and us responding to Him, but we can't seek after Him. He seeks after us. These stories, I think, prove it to us. God is constantly seeking after us. He's a good God. No matter what you do, too, whether you are a foolish sheep, and uh, maybe it is just a, an accident, maybe it's just the coin, or maybe it's a full-on sinful choice that you make, like the prodigal son. Whatever instance you may find yourself in, God says, I'm seeking after you. Even after we've been in a relationship with Jesus, constantly God is saying, okay, I want a deeper relationship with you. I want to transform you. I want to mold you in my image. It is God seeking after each and every one of us. Take a look at the next thing I think that these stories tell us about God's love. Let's specifically look at the prodigal son story here in verse 11. It says this, and he said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And this is the crazy thing, like I said earlier. Look at what the father does. He divided his property between them. That was it. Like there's like end of the discussion. You want it? Okay. Here you go. It's yours. That's like nuts to me. I think any of us told our parents, hey, I basically want you dead so I can have my inheritance that's coming to me. Can we just speed along the process here and you can give it to me early so that way I can go spend it and do whatever I want with it? They'd probably laugh and say, guess who's out of my will now, right? Like this is just crazy. This is insulting. And yet this is the, what the father does. And you might be saying, okay, how is this loving? How is this loving what, what the father did? Right? I mean, if the father, especially if the father knew what would happen, I mean, sure, inevitably, this is not a great relationship that he has with his son. Right? It's not like they could be lovey-dovey one day, and then the next day, the son's like, oh, you know what? I'd rather you did, and I just have your money. Right? Like, there's no way. He knows that this son is probably going to go and take this and blow the money, and it's not going to be healthy for him. And yet the father says, here you go. Why? Why does he do this? I want you to think about it just for a moment. What if the father knew that through this process, yes, it's going to be awful. Yes, he's going to blow it. Yes, it is a risk, but I don't have a good relationship with him now. What if the father knew, maybe by chance if I give it to him, he will see what that life would entail and he would turn around and he would change his ways and come back. Because that's what God does for each and every one of us. The Father gave His Son free will, and God gives to us free will as well. 
And this, I think, is one of the most loving things that God can do for each and every one of us. And you might say, yeah, but that gets people in trouble, right? Like that allows people to make really bad decisions, just like the prodigal son, right? That allows people to go out and do horrific, sinful activities, right? I mean, just horrible things. But think about what it also allows. If God were to stop each and every one of us when we were going to make a sinful decision, then we wouldn't have free will and we would be robots. We would be God's puppets who serve Him and who glorify Him in everything that we do. And that's all there is to it. We would be His servants, His robots, His puppets, and life would move on. God says, that's not good enough. I don't want puppets. I don't want people who have no free will. I want a freeing relationship with people where people are choosing to have a relationship with me and worship me and glorify me, just like this father does to his prodigal son. He looks at him and goes, I know I don't have a good relationship with you now. I'm going to give you the free will because it's a chance at having a good relationship with me. Even though everyone would have looked at him and said, you're crazy. He would have been an embarrassment of the town. People would have known this guy. This is a well-off guy. If, he's, if the guy's asking for an inheritance, the guy obviously has a lot of money. People know this guy. It's embarrassing to give your son all this money and then have your son blow it in reckless living. This would have been awful for his reputation, and yet he still says, I'm going to give you the free will. God gives each and every one of us free will, and I think it's one of the most loving things that He can give to each and every one of us. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, I think, really exemplifies uh, this idea of free will. It says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. Now, think about this. This is God communing with us, but he is knocking at the door. It's our job to say, get out of here, or I'm going to open the door and allow you into my life. That's the free will that God offers to each and every one of us. And the really sad part is, is there's a lot of people who are going to keep that door shut and who deny God. But God says, it's worth it because of the people who I'm going to have a good relationship with. I'd rather have a good relationship with those who want me than a forced relationship with people who don't want me. God gives each and every one of us free will. Take a look at the next thing that we learn. And this, again, is specifically from the prodigal son, the third story that Jesus teaches here. Take a look with me here in verse 20. This is after the guy has uh, already kind of uh, blown his money and come to his senses. He's hungry. He's eating what the pigs eat. And take a look at this. He arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Look at what the father says again here in verse 22. But the father said to his servant, bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. This father wants everyone to know this guy belongs to me. This is my son. This, he he is special to me. 
This ring, this would have been a family ring, most likely a signet ring, so that when they have wax, they can seal things. It's like their signature back then. Uh, so this would have been a, a, a marker of, hey, you belong in this family. You belong with me. Now, I want you to think about the great amount of love that this father had for his son. After his son just blew all this stuff, completely slapped the father in the face by going and doing whatever he wanted, this father still said, I care about you. I love you. And I want a relationship with you. Look at what he does. He accepts the son in the midst of the sin that he just committed. I think that this is what Jesus is trying to get across to these Pharisees by saying, hey, God accepts us. God accepts you in a sinful state. Now, that doesn't mean that he likes our sin. It doesn't mean that he uh, accepts our sin later on as we live our lives with Christ. But it does mean that when we are a, in a sinful state, God says, you don't need to clean yourself up first. You don't need to jump through a bunch of religious hoops. You don't need to uh, live a holy life before I can offer a relationship with you. I want one right now, no matter where you are. Romans 5.8 puts it like this, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans, later on in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, it says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Ephesians chapter 2 puts it very similarly, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. God accepts us in a sinful state. And here's the really awesome, amazing part about God is that He says, you come to me and let me do the transforming work in your life. Yes, it's hard to allow God to do that. Yes, it's a lot of work on our behalf to say, God, I want you to transform me, but He does it. I think that's exemplified here in these few stories. Take a look what happens after the guy with a hundred sheep comes back with the one that wandered off. It says when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, look at this, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Jesus brings it this uh, same uh, type of idea to the, the woman who lost the coin. Take a look with me with that story. Or what woman have 10 silver coins, if she loses one, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And look at this. When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before angels of God over one sinner who repents. Are you catching the idea? There is joy when God accepts us. It is not this type of thing where God's saying, yeah, I guess if, I guess you, you can come back if you want, but you know what? You're really going to have to shape up because this stuff is not going to fly. So, you know, if you don't do this, this, and this, you're out again. This is, you're, you, I mean, you're, you're on this, buddy, okay? I, I guess I'll take you. This is not how God takes us. He celebrates our repentance. He celebrates with us. Take a look at the celebration that the father puts on. It says, but the father said to his servant, bring quickly the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand. Shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. 
here's an amazing way that God loves us. Is it's not the type of thing where he says, I guess you can be with me as long as you do X, Y, Z. He says, no, 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 no. When you repent, there's a celebration. When there's genuine repentance, when there's genuine uh, us coming to God and saying, I'm sorry and I want to change my ways, God celebrates. One of the amazing ways that God loves us is by celebrating our restoration. He says, I care about you enough. I don't want to keep you in your sin. I'm going to accept you in your sin and I'm going to transform you along the way. You just come with me. And that is a giant celebration in God's kingdom. Take a look at how 1 Peter puts it. It says, After you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself, look at this, restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. I don't know about you, but I need some restoration, confirmation, strength, and establishment in my life from God, right? We all need that. And that's what God promises us. He says, hey, I'm going to celebrate you and I'm going to restore you and I'm going to give you life. Just like Jesus puts it in John 10.10, I've come to give you life and life abundantly, right? The thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy, but I came that that, uh, you may have life and have it abundantly. God gives us life. And He gives it abundantly. Not just eternally, right? But right here on earth. There's a restoration for each and every one of us. If you feel like you're not good enough for God today, if you feel like, man, I've just sinned and sinned and sinned. There's no way God wants me. And sure, I mean, yeah, maybe God wants me because that's who He is. Sure. No, 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 no. That is not the attitude God has. God says, you're with me? That's amazing. Let's throw a party. Let's celebrate. I want to restore you. I want to establish you in my kingdom. And I'm going to give you a calling. And that's the amazing thing. That, that's how, I mean, that's just how he, got, how he loves us. And it's just amazing. And there's one last way that God loves us. And you may be saying up until this point, like, man, that's, that's great, Pastor Josh. Uh, you know, it, if, if that were me, that'd be awesome. But I've lived in the church my whole life. I, I've been a Christian ever since I can remember. My parents were Christian. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I just I haven't done this stuff. I haven't wandered astray a whole lot. Sure, I'm not perfect. I've sinned. Jesus has saved me. But I didn't spend any time building my testimony like some people. And I never really felt like I, I left like the prodigal son did. Sure, again, I've sinned, but I just, I don't identify with that. Here's the great thing is that God is not exclusive with just saying like, this is awesome. I I want to celebrate these people. He also says, you know what? Even if you've been with me forever, you're still going to struggle. Take a look at this older brother. This is really fascinating to me. And a lot of times, again, we leave this out, but I think that for the vast majority of us, especially those of us who have been in church a really long time, the person that we really identify with is this older brother. It says this, Now, the older son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing, and he called the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother's come, and your father's killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. This, But he was angry. He refused to go in. Does this sound similar? Does this sound like these Pharisees that Jesus was dealing with at the beginning of this chapter? They were angry that Jesus 
was with, who he was with, this, this older son, he's upset just like these Pharisees are. And I think if we're honest, sometimes we fall into this category if we've been in church for a long time. We become angry. Look what happens. His father came out. Look at that. He's seeking even the older son who has been with him this whole time. He's seeking him just like he sought out the younger son, just like the shepherd sought out the sheep, just like the woman sought her coin back. And it seems like the father comes out and the son just immediately tells him off. I mean, look at what he says. I, the audacity that this son has. He says, look, these many years I've served you. I've, I've never disobeyed your command yet. You never gave me a young goat. Now, a young goat would be far less than a fattened calf. So he's like, hey, you never even gave me half of what you're giving him. Uh, look at this. That I might celebrate with my friends. He wants the celebration. He wants what the younger son has. And look at this. I mean, he really throws the younger son under the bus in verse 30. When this son of yours, not his brother, this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you've killed a fattened calf for him. Now, again, we don't know that this guy ever visited a prostitute. It's just reckless living. Maybe the older son's just making assumptions. Maybe he's making it worse than it actually was. Well, maybe it was that way. We don't know. All we know is that, man, this older son has a very hardened heart, doesn't he? The father, he's celebrating. The older son, he's throwing a pity party for himself. I can't believe that you would do this. <laughs> this is ridiculous. Ridiculous. Can you believe this? I never had half of this. And then you're going to go and do that? It's our attitude a lot of time. It's our attitude that says, man, I, I want it. I want the selfish things. I want what I want. He's talking to these Pharisees directly when he says um, this story about this older son. But again, God is good. And he's gracious. Look at this. Look at how he responds. Not, you know what, you brat, get out of here. You go out to the fields again. Go work harder. You know what, you're going in timeout. Go to your room. I don't care if you're an adult man. Go. Get out of here. You don't belong at this party. Look at this. That's not how he responds. Look at verse 31. He said to him, son, you're always with me. All that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. He's lost and is found. You know what so many times we miss out on? As people who have lived as Christians for a long time, you know what we forget about? Is the immense love that God has had for us. It's really easy to look at somebody who was a reckless sinner and that repented and came to the faith, right? And to see the love that God has for them. But how many times do we look at that and go, man, I want that too. What do I need to do? Go, what, should I go live recklessly and then you know, go build up my testimony and then come back? Well, obviously, we know that's not good. Paul in Romans says, no, 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 that's, that's not good. Here's what I think we should focus on, though, is what the father says to this older brother. Look at this. You were always with me. All that is mine is yours. God gives us an immense amount of love even when it's just to simply overcome our pride 
Look at this. God is so good. Psalm 86, 15. But you, O Lord, are a, good, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Psalm 103, 8 says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. God loves us even when we are prideful, even when our hearts are hardened, even when we go, I want that. God never gave that to me. He says, hey, listen, yes, I did. Think about it. All I have is yours. Can we do something as, as we're going to end this morning? I want to do something just a little bit differently. Um, would you just close your eyes just for 30 seconds or so? I know this is kind of strange. Just go with me here. Close your eyes for just a moment. I want you to think about no matter where your relationship with God is, no matter whether maybe this is the uh, first day you're accepting him, maybe you haven't accepted him yet, maybe you've been a Christian your whole life, wherever you are with him, here's what I want you to think about. How has God shown you his love? How has he protected you? Maybe he saved you from a really bad decision. Maybe, you know, maybe there's a, a person, maybe you're really glad that you didn't marry and he saved you from that. Maybe there is a financial decision that, man, God says, you know what, I'm going to step in here. I'm going to save you from this. Maybe there's just all sorts of things happening on in your life, and God gave you a supernatural sense of peace. I want you to spend just the next 10, 15 seconds with your eyes closed. I want you to just think about the immense amount of love that God has shown you. With your eyes still closed, I want you to think about too. Well, how would your life change if you remembered, if you kept on the forefront of your mind every single day how God has shown you his love? Would the way that you interact with people change? Would the way that you raise your kids change? Would you be a better spouse? you be a better steward of what God has given you if you just remembered what God has done for you. The immense amount of love, no matter where you are, no matter how long you've been a Christian, no matter what, think about how your life would change. Just thinking about God has shown you his love. You can open your eyes. I think if we kept this love that God has shown each and every one of us on the forefront of our mind, I think it would change who we are. I think it'd give us more peace. I think it would change the way that we talk with people, the way that we think about people. Maybe even if we identify with these Pharisees and this older son, maybe it would change our attitudes towards people. If we just simply thought about the great love that God has for us. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you for these, these parables that you've told these Pharisees because um, honestly, God, we, we identify with these Pharisees and with this older brother sometimes more often than we would like to admit. And so God, we just, we thank you. Thank you for having grace 
and mercy and your loving kindness towards us. Even when we are dead in our trespasses and sins, God, you showed us your great love and kindness and mercy by seeking after us and celebrating our restoration. Jesus, thank you for that. Thank you for dying on the cross on our behalf. And God, would we keep that on the forefront of our mind, the love that you have shown to each and every one of us, the immense amount of blessing that you have given us. Maybe even though we may be in the midst of horrible situations in our life, we can still look and go, God, you are a good God. You have blessed me beyond all belief. You have shown me your love and I will serve you because of it. Jesus, we want to serve you because of your love. Thank you. Thank you for protecting us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for seeking after us and establishing us and giving us plans and a purpose. God, you have given us a hope. Thank you so much. Even though we've done nothing to deserve it, God, you looked at us and said, you're special. I made you in my image and I want a relationship with you. Thank you for that. Thank you for the immense amounts of blessings that you have given to each and every one of us. Help us to take that seriously, to glorify you with everything that we've got. And it's in your precious life-changing name we pray. Amen.